0: Okay, the next aspect that I'd like to get into is the role of vision in leadership and the nature of vision and what that all has to do with. Um, One of the things that I want to get clear about is that vision doesn't have much to do with leadership as a presence, I think. Uh, I just can't kind of when I do these thought experiments see any vision down there on the playing floor and yet I somehow I'm not able to rule out the power that vision has in the phenomenon of leadership. So what that suggests to me is the need to invent another domain of distinction for leadership to live in and where that takes... Can I read this to you and get that out of the way so I can erase it? It's just a very, very, very useful quote from a Nobel laureate that says, to undertake a project as the word's derivation indicates means to cast out an idea ahead of oneself so that it gains autonomy. That is to say, so that it's no longer dependent on the person who undertook the project in the first place. So that the project gains autonomy and is fulfilled not only by the efforts of its originator, but indeed independently of him as well. And another word which I think is very important is the word independently. What could that mean? A project, most projects worth doing are gonna be realized not only by the efforts of its originator, but indeed independent of the originator. So I thought that was valuable, but who knows? At any rate, what I wanted to get to here was this uh, issue about vision. And as I said, what we've got so far is really two domains, the domain of the observer giving an account, so the domain of the account, the domain in which leadership lives is something you represent, something you talk about something with properties and characteristics, something you can describe, something you can define, like that, and leadership as a presence, like what's actually there on the court. Now we've got this problem about vision, and if we take up the issue of vision and its role in leadership, and we're only armed with these two distinctions, My guess is that it's going to get us in trouble someplace down the pike, because it means either that the vision lives there as a presence, which at least in my being with what's present when leadership is present, I just can't see any of. I can't see the vision present there, and I know that the vision is present or often present in the domain of an observer giving an account, but I'm concerned less The kind of power that's available in the domain of an observer giving an account isn't a powerful enough domain of distinction for vision to live in. So that's why I left this kind of empty spot at the other end of the board where we may have to invent a domain for vision which isn't a part of the tools that we've already got. But let's take a look at vision in the domain which we already do have the one we inherit as human beings, this domain of the observer giving an account, and see what a vision might be like in that domain. So first off, I'm going to suggest that a vision in a domain of an observer giving an account is something like a dream about remote possibilities that you consider an ideal. And the operative word that I want to get in there is the word ideal. And I'd like to invite you to consider that what we think of as our vision is something very akin to an ideal, something which ought to be, something imbued with, uh, imbued with a rightness. And I, I want to underline that word. An ideal is something that we've imbued with a kind of rightness. There's something about our ideals that make them right. And with regard to what distinguishes the vision of a leader and what distinguishes all other kind of visioning, I have the sense that while in the domain of an observer giving an account, all vision looks like some kind of an ideal, that what's actually there and I won't say present, but there in some way, uh, with vision in the realm of leadership is not an ideal, not something right, not something that ought to be, although when the leader speaks about vision, the vision in the domain of an observer giving an account, it will probably be made right and probably be made ideal. But I'm trying to say that what, what makes a leader a leader may be, and I want you to, to consider this and do some thinking on your own about it, it may be that the possibility of being a leader isn't related to vision as an ideal. And then we have to begin to, you know, well, what could vision be? What, what, how could it live if it wasn't going to live as an ideal? I have a sense that as an ideal, it, sorry, that vision, as an, vision in a domain of an observer giving an account will be something like an ideal, a remote possibility that we consider an ideal. The Hunger Project serves as a very, very good example for me in this case, because I've been close to The Hunger Project since its beginning. And I've been able to see what's happened to it in the world. And it kind of gets clear to me. And I can see that even in the beginning, I was kind of concerned about uh, the end of hunger as an ideal. And one of the dangers about the end of hunger is that it's a very ready ideal. Very readily becomes the ideal. It would be right for people not to starve. It would be right for people's lives not to be damaged by uh, an insufficient amount of nutrition. I mean, it kind of sits in the society as an ideal, as something right. And what motivates action in the field of hunger is this ideal of the end of hunger, And I'm really asking you to kind of consider that for yourself and look at it for yourself to see that what organizes people's behavior, why people make donations, why people oftentimes, why people are working, is that the end of hunger is a kind of an ideal. And not only is it an ideal, but everybody's happy with it as an ideal. We're ready to reinforce it as an ideal. We're ready to do business with the end of hunger as an ideal. In fact, it looks like the right place to do business. If you take this whole issue about ending hunger from the perspective of market research, you say, well, ending hunger, that's pretty good, that's hot in the marketplace because it's an ideal everybody has. Only I have the suspicion that things that live in the market as an ideal, that the action derived from ideals somehow don't make a difference. That is to say, somehow, leaders are not working on vision as ideal, not that they don't know how to manage a vision as an ideal in the domain of an observer giving an account, but that vision cannot live like a power when leadership is going to happen as an ideal. Uh, One of the ways that I talked about the end of hunger is as a very practical matter not merely practical for the people who are hungry, and not merely practical for us who would benefit uh, by uh, having a world free of hunger, but from the perspective that if we did handle hunger, we would have said something to ourselves about who we are the being of which would leave us in a more powerful place as human beings. Now, that's kind of something different than an ideal, if you can hear that. That's something you've got to kind of create for yourself and generate for yourself. It doesn't lie in the culture as an already something right. But rather, it begins to be a new opening. You know, one of the things that I always said about what we did in space was that we really missed the real fallout benefit. I mean, there's a lot of conversation about the fallout benefits of our space program such that we now have things that we can put on our tile floors that protect the tile floors better than we did before. They've come up with new materials to polish floors with as a fallout, and that's been very valuable, and lots of uh, things in the medical profession. I just saw an ad for a hearing aid that's so small it just sits inside your ear. Surely some of that miniaturization was a fallout of the space program. But what never fell out of the space program was a saying to ourselves like creating ourselves that we can create possibility like an opportunity. That we don't just have the opening to create possibility like an ideal but that we can create possibility in such a way that in the creation of the possibility we're empowered to realize the possibility, that we can create possibility such that the creation of the possibility mobilizes the forces to fulfill the possibility, that we can create possibilities such that the creation of the possibility includes, incorporates, and actually makes use of what resists the possibility. So that fallout we never got, we kind of wound up reinforcing that we were as smart as we hoped we were rather than we were bigger than we imagined we were. And I have the sense that vision as an ideal works something like that. So the question is, what is the nature of a vision that is appropriate to leadership. What is vision in leadership really? Not in the domain of an observer giving an account and not in the domain of presence, but what is the domain of distinction in which vision would have to live? See, again, I'm trying to tease you into the distinctions rather than give you information So over the years, people have come to me with more good ideas than you can shake a stick at. And I mean, man, really excited about the ideas. And good ideas. And it's clear to me, and it has been clear to me for a number of years, that there's a distinction between a good idea to which you're ready to devote your life and about which you can speak with enormous excitement and a vision like a possibility. So I want to start to tease into existence that distinction for us. Those things about which we're excited, those things which reach out and grab us and pull us in and, and own us, and that which lives as an authentic possibility which invites an action which is ourselves. See one of the things about a vision as it shows up in leadership it seems to me is that a participation in that vision and engaging in that vision is something very akin to what we have ordinarily called self-expression, that people somehow find themselves when they're participating in a vision as contrasted with a good idea. I don't know, but I know it needs our attention that we need to break the code on this stuff people are excited about that are really good ideas, and for the moment I'll just give it a name, like a good idea and a vision which is something that has power beyond a good idea, power beyond the excitement, power beyond the argument for itself. So I don't know but I want us to inquire into that and the first place that I'd like to begin the inquiry is in Minneapolis-St. Paul So who is on the phone from Minneapolis-St. Paul? Peter.
1: Peter, hi.
0: Werner, my question has to do with practice. The metaphors that I hear you using for distinguishing leadership, like tennis and Aikido, imply practice. And so does perhaps the method of inquiry that you are asking us to engage in. And so my request is that you tell me about the role of practice in leadership. Well, I don't really understand practice all that well, so it's something uh, about which I'm curious, like inquiring into. One of the things that I'm satisfied with now is if we use the analogy of riding a bicycle, one does not learn to ride a bicycle through practice. I say that you can get on a bicycle and fall off endlessly and never quote, learn to ride a bicycle. I say that what happens when we say that the person is practicing and they've learned to ride a bicycle through practice is that somehow whatever it is we call practice when we're speaking about it like a presence is the opening for the creation of distinctions. So, we've got practice, which I'm saying in one way of interpreting what that means, as one interpretation, simply has no power, like you can get on a bicycle and fall off forever and never, quote, learn to ride a bicycle. I'm saying that the other interpretation of practice, as an opening for the establishment of distinctions, is interesting because it could learn to what we call riding a bicycle, wherein I assert that what we mean by... I've learned to ride a bicycle, is that I am the distinction. Or to say that same thing in a different way, I am now a clearing in which balance can show up as distinguished from all of the other possibilities when I'm riding a bicycle. So when you first get on a bicycle, there's a whole myriad of sensations when you're sitting on the seat. The point is, that those sensations show up in an insufficiently rich body of distinctions, so that one sensation is like another sensation, is like another sensation, is like another sensation. But as soon as you have the distinction, not the experience of balance, but as soon as you have the distinction balance, as soon as you, you are a clearing for balance to show up in, then those sensations of balance become distinguishable from those sensations of not being balanced. And with that distinction, you now begin to be familiar with the experience of balance and the experience of not balance. And then you have, in that process, the distinctions become richer. You become a clearing... For those sensations of almost balance and those sensations of no possibility for balance. And as the, sense, as the distinctions get richer, the body of experiences held in those distinctions build and the distinctions become clearer, firmer, and that's what we call learning to ride a bicycle. But the first thing that happens in what we call learning to ride a bicycle is that you become a clearing for balance. So, practice then, if you take that interpretation, Peter, practice at least in the beginning might be an opportunity for the creation of distinctions. And that's what we would mean by practice. Well, if you were going to design a practice for the creation of distinctions, what you would call that practice would probably be inquiry. At least it would be something like what we mean by an inquiry. So you don't say, when you're learning to ride a bicycle, how do I hold my body? Because even if you had that information, you wouldn't likely be able to ride the bicycle any better. What in fact happens is not learning how to hold your body, but you are a clearing in which balance can show up. Now, what happens is that the world of riding a bicycle has been transformed by the creation of distinctions, and in this transformed world of riding a bicycle, the correlated actions to the transformed world are what we call, oh, he can, like, is able to ride a bicycle. In other words, what I'm saying, and now I'm going to go back from the other end those actions which we as observers would, be, would say, that's the ability to ride a bicycle. Because that's what we mean when we say this guy can ride a bicycle, this guy's able to ride a bicycle, this guy's got the skill to ride a bicycle. What we really mean is we're observing those actions consistent with riding a bicycle. Now, I say that a person's actions on a bicycle are not commensurate with any information about how to hold his body or any information about how a bicycle works, or even any information about how balance works, but rather that a person's actions on a bicycle are a correlate with the world of the bicycle, the world of being on a bicycle, so that whatever way the world of being on a bicycle is construed, the way it's construed determines the actions on a bicycle. So what the ability to ride a bicycle must mean is that the world of the bicycle or the world of riding a bicycle now is in a certain way. And the way in which a world of riding a bicycle is when the actions are what we call able is a world built out of a body of distinctions And therefore, it's the body of distinctions which are ultimately at the source of what we call an ability to ride a bicycle. Now, all of that process requires something, and I'm going to call that something practice. So I'm saying that practice is the process of building distinctions as clearings or openings for experience and action which then get recorded as a body or a history of experiences. But here you have action not correlated with memory, action not correlated with history, action not correlated with information. But here, by presence, I mean action correlated with the -the in-the-worldness. So this is acting in the world. Presence could be said to be acting in the world. Or a more familiar term for you, presence could be said to be being in the world, where being or action is the front of my hand And the back of my hand is in the world. So notice that the front of my hand is correlated like an action with the back of my hand like an in the world. So I'm saying that what we call the ability to ride a bicycle, when we say over here, that guy's got the ability to ride a bicycle, what we're really observing are actions correlated with an in the world that produce bicycle riding, but the the in-the-world to which the actions are correlated are generated by a body of distinctions like, for example, balance as a distinction. Not balance as an idea and not balance as an experience, but balance as a distinction where one becomes the clearing for the experience of balance to appear. Then you've got action correlated to in-the-world. Peter, more about practice? No, thank you. Okay, thank you. Very good.